Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks so much for joining us here for episode 338 with Glenna Crooks. Glenna is chatting about your networks, all the people that are in your pit crew that support you and that you support and how to get that support moving in the very best ways so you can show up and do good work and live good life. So you'll learn one, the eight different kinds of networks in your life, two, a method for successfully pruning your network, and three, the maximum number of connections a person can sustain. So if you'd like to take a look at the show notes or the transcript or the links to items we've referenced, you'll find that over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash ep338. And while at awesomeatyourjob.com, I encourage you to check out some cool stuff. One cool thing I'd point you to is the 10 Days to Winning at Work email course. So if you would like to prune some of your work day and have it go a little bit quicker and shorter because you've slashed the waste out of there, well, I've got 10 bite-sized lessons, one email a day for 10 days that are excerpted from my training programs that have been shown to slash over 80 minutes of waste per person per week on out of there. So you can get home earlier or do more cool, strategic, creative, non-urgent type work. That's the 10 days winning at work email course at awesomeatyourjob.com. Now here's Glenna's story. Glenna Crooks is a strategist, innovator, and trusted counsel to leaders globally. She was a Reagan appointee, a global vice president of Merck's vaccine business, and founder of a global strategy firm solving tough healthcare problems. She's an active in academia, on boards, writing books and blogs, and she's a sought-after speaker and was recently named a disruptive woman to watch. She's also a Zen artist and donates her paintings to support children with special needs. Big thanks to Glenna for sharing her wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. Here is Glenna. Glenna, thanks so much for joining us here on the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast. It is such a pleasure to join you. I love the thoughtfulness that you bring to the questions in these interviews. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I'm excited to get into it. I think you've got a lot of great stuff to share. And um, the first thing I want to hear you share is a tale of when you were five years old and you organized over 50 kids to create a circus in your backyard. What, what is this story here? <laughs> Well, first of all, I have to say, I was a boomer. So on my block, there were 50 kids. And we were all about the same age. And I can't imagine a better sort of social life that I could have grown up with. Now, why I decided to organize this circus, I don't know. But it's a credit to my mother's patience that I'm here to tell the tale, because I never told her. Oh. So she didn't know until the day came and she was in the basement doing the laundry and saw all of these legs and people walking into our backyard. <laughs> we had the, some kids had dogs and so we had acts. We made costumes for the pets. <laughs> we served treats <laughs> and I lived to tell the tale. <laughs> that is amazing. I think I've been organizing chaos ever since. Oh, that, that's so good. Well, I, so many follow-ups here. First, how big is your backyard? You probably could have put a two-car garage in it and maybe a little space besides that. We didn't have a garage at the time. So that gives you kind of an idea of the, of the size. Oh, yeah. So so these kids were pretty packed in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Parents. oh, wait. We had adults. We, had, we invited our parents, too. I just forgot to invite my own. <laughs> well, 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 were you punished, or, or how did that go? No, not at all. My mom 
when she tells me stories like this, she just sort of rolls her eyes and says, I think they gave me the wrong baby at the hospital. <laughs> well, that's really, it's impressive. And uh, I look at my backyard right now and just imagining 50 kids in it. <laughs> Because it sounds like it's in the same ballpark of what you described. And that's wild. I mean, that would be that'd be a sight to see. Cool. So so yes, I mean, organizing chaos and at a young age, putting together networks and, and making it happen for some cool results. You got a book out called The Network Sage. So to what extent is it similar to circus organization for five-year-olds and <laughs> versus different or, or what's the big idea here? Well, I have to give credit where credit is due. And uh, that's to Robert Downey Jr. I happen to like action flicks and superheroes. And so in 2007, after the first uh, Iron Man trailer was released, I noticed an interview that he did in a fashion magazine. And in it, he talked about how he had a pit crew of people helping him out. Yoga teacher, a sensei, a psychiatrist, his wife. But he said, but I need a pit crew because after all, I'm not a Model T, I'm a Ferrari. He said, and it takes more of a pit crew to keep us on the road. Well, I must have been in a snarky mood that day because I thought to myself, you know what? If you're a Ferrari, I'm at least a Maserati. Oh, there you go. But you know what? You're also right. It does take a pit crew. Who's mine? And how are they doing? And then after a while, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in other people's pit crews. How am I doing? Now, I never actually had the courage to ask anyone, by the way, but I do know that there were times I didn't do it well enough. And what a lot of those times had in common is that my pit crews let me down, and because of that, I let other people down. So the big idea here is that you have a pit crew. Let them help. It was hiding in plain sight for me. Now I see that one of the most valuable assets we have is human capital, our own and that of the other people in our life, which is why the subtitle of the book is Realize Your Network's Superpower, because that pit crew that we have, that's a real superpower for us. It is. It is, absolutely. And and I want to dig into that, but first I just want to comment on how Robert Downey Jr., made quite the physique transformation for that movie, Iron Man. And it was amazing. Like it just his muscles on muscles. And so I, I could imagine that would take new <laughs> you know, numerous <laughs> professionals in the area of nutrition or or, or um training, you know, in the gym. That, that must have been a brutal <laughs> few months yeah. getting ready for that role. Uh right. which is why actors, I guess, get paid the big bucks. So uh, well, that's cool. So the, the pit crew notion, we've all got one. We're all part of one. And it's a, it's a huge asset that is, is going on in our lives. And we may be sort of overlooking the, the value or importance of it. Understood. And so then now, now you've actually gone ahead and you know, categorized or segmented eight different network groups or, or types of pit crews uh, that provide support in living life. So Let's see. Could you maybe give us the your one minute or less explanation, definition, description of of each of these eight types of of pit crews? Sure. Uh, you want to hear all eight in one Let's minute, do it. or well, eight, okay. one minute each? Eight, eight minutes total. All right. okay. Five minutes total. I'll do it in less less than that. Oh, you got um, it. So, in all, we um, I've characterized eight different networks. Now, five of them I call birthright networks because we are born into them. Our parents create them for us. If you have kids, you've created them for your kids. This is going to make total sense. Remember I said it was hiding in plain sight. So first, a family network. Second, a health and vitality network. Third, an education and enrichment network. Fourth, a spiritual network. Fifth, a 
a social and community network. Makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. Now, from the time that you're quite young, you start shaping and changing those networks to suit yourself, but you will never outgrow what those networks provide for you. Now, then you mature into three other networks. The first one is the career network, which is how we usually think about networks and networking. The second is a home and personal affairs network. And personal affairs being things like your lawyer, your accountant, your car dealer, your banker, people like that. Then there's a final network I call ghosts. Now, I didn't set out to find ghosts, but I've been doing research now with hundreds of people ranging in age from 7 to 87 for the last 10 years, looking deeply into their lives and the people in it, and ghosts started showing up. Now, ghosts are people who used to be in your life who are no longer. Either they've passed away, they've moved away, your paths diverged. I mean, just think about it. Your third grade best friend. Are you still in touch? A lot of us have lost touch with our college roommates, for goodness sakes. Now, it's important to know about ghosts because there's at least two or three really important types. One I call friendly. These are the people who loved you and you knew it. And if you think about them, they warm your heart. They're the people you should think about when you're having a bad day. Then you have another group I call hungry. These are the ones that left you with a bruise and a hole in your heart. Now, I call them hungry because you couldn't satisfy them then and you can't satisfy them now. But guess what? You're still trying. Not with them, of course, because they're not around anymore, but with people or in situations who remind you of them. So, you know, for me, instead of thinking about my grandfather, who is a friendly ghost, uh, for me, when I'm having a bad day, it's those hungry ghosts who come out and they pitch a tent in my office. Mm-hmm. And they sort of scream at me all day and undermine what I'm trying to accomplish. So understanding that even people who are not really present in your life today are still having an impact on you is important for trying to be awesome in your job. Just like your health and vitality network serves a really important role, not just because of your health, but in that network is where I place the people who help you look good. And one of the things we know is that attractive people make a quarter of a million dollars more over the course of their lifetime than unattractive people. Now, now you mean literally physically looking good, like your pores are tight, your body fat is low, and your, you know, muscles are toned, and you're glowing with your flesh, like that kind of looking good. Well, there are certain characteristics that contribute to attractiveness that are just plain genetic. But grooming, having a good haircut, and wearing good clothes and looking good that way also goes a long way. People who do sell more products, they have a kind of a halo effect that they wear that really translates into hardcore income dollars for them. Okay. So uh, well, let's take into a little bit more detail here. So family networks, I get it, Lee, right? That's your you know, aunts, uncles, mom, dad, brother, sister, nieces, nephews, etc. Health and vitality, you, you laid out, you know, helping you, you look good physically in terms of, you know, the grooming and appearance and whatnot. So, so what do you mean by education and enrichment networks? I mean, education that prepares you for your job. So whatever it takes for you, whatever degree is required, and then enrichment, things like museums and the arts um, are, are part of enrichment. Um, in your spiritual network, you may be a member of a religious congregation, but then you may also have connections with other people outside of a congregation. So for experiences you consider spiritual, for some people that's reading poetry, for other people it's walking in the woods as examples. 
your social and community networks, the people in your neighborhood. And then, as of course, as you get older and you can move around the, the city on your own and take mass transit or drive your car, being able to get out and around the community organizations that you volunteer uh, are, uh, would be examples there. Okay, understood. And, and so then, uh, let's see. Let's talk about the, the career then. Ah, well, the career network is is really interesting from from my perspective. There's four different groups that I place in this career network. The first one is your workplace or who, who where your job is. Uh, you have an official org chart, for example. You have a job. It, you, you, you work within a hierarchy of a boss or a supervisor. You may have direct reports. And then you've got people in a company who support you, HR, finance, so on. There's also another group, and that's your career networking group. Now, this could be a professional society that you're a part of or some sort of affinity group. Maybe you're in marketing and you're part of a marketing organization that meets from time to time. Or perhaps you're part of a group um, that supports women in business or minorities in business for networking and career growth purposes. The third group within uh, the career network is your career education um, network. Now, lots of companies today are providing educational opportunities for employees within a company, but then some employees decide they really want to do their own thing outside, maybe go for an advanced degree, or um, maybe there's a skill set that they want to build, and they, they prefer to do that on their own than do it within a company, or maybe the company doesn't offer it. So they take courses or do independent study on their own uh, as part of that group. And then finally, you have a group that helps you with career transitions. If you are have lost a job or if you are thinking about changing a job, there are networks that you can reach out to to help in, in that regard. Okay, understood. Well, well, then, all right, so that's a nice lineup there in terms of segmenting the, the universe of, of pit crews and then having some, some sub-segments there. And so I'm intrigued there. Once you you kind of go through this list, I think you'll you'll sort of notice, you know, some things that are that are strong and wonderful, and some things that are are lacking. And maybe right now we're looking for a good carpet provider, <laughs> you know. And so I guess that that shows up at home and personal affairs. And and so then, what do you do then? I guess if you find that you're you're lacking, or you got a hole or, or two in, in some key networks. Uh, how do you go about uh, filling that hole? My comment about that is, um, you know, most people, first of all, don't even know who's in these networks. We haven't had a structure for thinking about it. We, we think maybe this is data available in our Outlook contact database, or maybe we can connect through LinkedIn, or we can go on Facebook or Angie's List or, or whatever. But because we haven't had a comprehensive way or framework to look at these things, the kind of find me a fill-in-the-blank type person tends to be hit or miss. And in addition to that, my research shows that a lot of our networks are way overloaded. So I'm a gardener, for example. Before I plant, I weed. And that's what most people need to do in their networks. You know, there's lots of books out there and tools out there to help you network, like LinkedIn or like an Angie's group to find a, the, the carpet supplier you would like. You can also get referrals from your friends. What I have found is people know how to solve that problem. What they don't know how to do is to solve, is to look at all of their networks and decide how to prune and cut back so that they free up the bandwidth they need to go on and do more and better things and have the sort of life that they want to have. 
So to help do that, I've characterized or defined three different types of people within your network. Okay. Some I call primary. So those who are primary are the ones who are closest into your heart. I mean, if they passed away, if they cut off the connection with you, you would be devastated. So a spouse, a child, uh, a boss, uh, your best clients, uh, what's, and even yourself. Yeah, I have yourself on that list. Those people are primary. Why I put you on this list will be important when I get to the next type, and I call those support. So for everybody who is primary for you, you have certain intentions. You want your children to grow up to be healthy and well-educated and enculturated in your traditions. You want your boss to be successful. You want your um, direct reports to have the resources that they need in order to do their jobs. You want your clients to be served well with the products or the services that you provide them, all right? Now, so for every one of those people who are primary and the intentions that you have, some people are supporting you to do that. So it's important to understand that's their role. Their role is to be a support. And everybody else is transactional, which doesn't mean they're not a human being who deserves dignity and kindness and all of that. It just means that if, you know, you're not going to have a special outreach to them if they get sick. Uh, You're not going to worry if they decide that they're going to move on to to some other job or, or location. So, the first thing people need to do is understand that distinction once they know who's in their life, is in all their networks. Then what they need to do is be very strategic about what they want to ask for. They need to know what they, they need. So just telling me that you are looking for somebody to carpet your home doesn't necessarily tell me enough. I want to know if it's important <laughs> to you that, the, that is price an issue for you? Is um, service quality? Is a warranty? Is the convenience of them showing up at a particular date? Uh, will they move the furniture out of the room first, or do you have to do that? Is it CRI, Green Label Plus certified? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. So those are the, you know, when you ask yourself those questions and you have clarity, then when you go out to get the referral, you know with much greater specificity what to ask for. And then, and what I can tell you from my research, by the way, is that there are patterns in terms of what people lack in these networks. I know, for example, that if I am talking to a young man, he probably doesn't have a physician. You know, it's so funny. I was just chatting with a couple of young men about this exact topic yesterday. And um, one of them's like, I know I got to find a primary care physician. And the other one, well, he recently had a health scare. And so now he has one. And so, so yeah, this, this is coming up just yesterday. And uh, it, was, it was quite common. It was interesting. Well, and I know if I'm talking to couples with young children, they don't have custodial arrangements for the kids in the event of their death. I also know that lots of people must not have an attorney because 70% of adult Americans don't have an up-to-date will. So there are some sort of hot spots within our networks, I think within a career network. It's so common today um, now to talk about finding a mentor and a sponsor that it'll be obvious to people right away when they've made their list if there's a mentor or a sponsor who's missing. Right. Yeah. And then with the clarity of knowing what it is they're looking for, I mean, do they want a mentor to help them change uh, careers into a different field, or do they want a mentor to help them go up the career ladder within their own company? With that sort of clarity, they'll then know how to reach out to others and find that right mentor. 
Okay. So, so I love it. So just having that, that clear set of, you know, thinking about needs, thinking about network categories and subcategories and, and the specific uh, matchup associated with them sort of highlights some, some needs and some people to, to fill in there. I want to talk a bit about the pruning element. What are some indicators that someone should be pruned and how does one go about doing that? It's probably one of the biggest surprises when people hear about this, when they ask me that question. And I say, you know, I don't really have to talk about this with people because once they see all of the people in their networks, they instantly see changes that they want to make. So even just making the list, people start to, you know, they write somebody's name down and they say, ooh, you know, I wish they weren't around. Now, some people can never leave your network. If you've got a problem with your sister-in-law, you kind of can't, un- you can't un-sister-in-law yourself. Mm-hmm. But what I, the other pattern that I have found is, is that the people who are the most successful at doing this pruning start with the transactional connections they have. Again, that's the, those are the least important. They, they're the most easily replaced. Then they move on to the support connections. So for example, I'll use myself and, and a story about me, I have a, if I make an appointment, if somebody requires I have an appointment, like a doctor or a hairdresser or a manicurist, I'm willing to wait, but not long. Mm-hmm. So I had people in those categories who always kept me waiting. And so one, um, once I almost missed a flight because of it. Now I replaced them. Okay. It just because I could see it, I could be very clear about what I wanted. And then I could seek out someone who was better. Now, here's the other data from my research. Very frequently, people think they have a problem in a primary relationship, a primary connection with a spouse, with a boss. Those are the two biggest complaints I get, my spouse and my boss. What people find is when they have pruned and then replaced with better services, those people who are support and transactional, the problems with the boss and the spouse go away. That wasn't the problem. So much of what was happening is people were in the workforce. They were giving the best of themselves away all day. They went home and they had nothing left for the one they loved the most. Or conversely, the rest of their networks were such a mess. They had unreliable childcare, or they were also caring for a pet who was then sick, or they had an older relative they were helping out, and a neighborhood that was not terribly supportive, and you put all of those things together, and it was difficult to go to work with a clear head. I now realize myself, doing my networks, that the biggest career setbacks that I encountered came from being a homeowner. Really? Well, I'm single, and... Everybody talked to me, my financial advisors and so on, about the money. Could I afford the down payment and the upkeep and so on? Nobody said, do you have the bandwidth to manage 20 people? (laughs) Because that's what it takes. Yes, it does. And, you know, (laughs) if you get up in the morning and find a leak in the roof or under the kitchen sink, you don't exactly go off to work with a clear head. Or in my case, since I traveled globally, get on a plane and fly to Singapore and be fully present on the job. So... You know, that was an insight that I didn't have until Robert Downey Jr. came along. Yeah, well, that, that's that's good stuff. And, and so then w- when it comes to the pruning, I guess I'm having a little bit of a hard time as I think about my own collection of people, like who I don't really want there and maybe 
maybe I'm not thinking hard enough or maybe I've already pruned. <laughs> yeah, I guess there, there haven't been no dramatic uh, exchanges like I am terminating our relationship. Like that never, ha- that conversation hasn't ever happened, I guess, explicitly. So yeah, I guess I'm wondering, am I missing something or do you think uh, maybe I've just pruned? Do some people, are they already pruned by the time they get to you and they're chatting? No, uh, everybody pruned. Okay. Uh, everybody, everybody downsizes something. People who entertain in their home decide they're not going to do that anymore. It's too much effort to clean the house and take care of the kids and prepare the meal. They take people, they take other people out for dinner instead, or they only have potlucks and it's in the backyard and people don't come into the house. I mean, they, they make those kinds of changes. Now, I have seen in my research people who do make a coffee date with a support connection like a friend and say, you know what, this relationship has been all take and uh, me giving and you taking. It's not been balanced. And so this is not the, this is not the kind of relationship that I want. And I'd say much to the credit of the other person, they have said, you know what, you're right. And I want to be a better friend. Tell me how to do that. Which I think is another part of this having clarity and telling people what you want. And for anyone um, that you support as a part of their pit crew, if they haven't told you what they want, you, we, we both know you're not a mind reader, ask them, what's your definition of quality? What is it that you want from me? Let's see if I can deliver that or not. Or maybe I can, but not every day. Well, yes. And that's exactly where I want to go next is thinking about this giving and taking. What are some some pro tips to making sure that um, you know we don't fall on either side of that to be the, to be almost always the the giver and and sort of left void or, or almost always the taker and to be you know kind of a, a selfish you know, person who's burning some bridges along the way the people that i have seen who've been the most successful at this are the people who've really looked at their own lives first and all of their networks and then they've started by um and they've done a bit of pruning and they've created some bandwidth and time and energy for themselves because of that and then what they've done is reached out to important people shared that information and asked them to do the same so because what that does is starting to give you insights into each other's lives now this by the way happens best in the most intimate relationships between spouses for example you know couples divide workload so one person in the couple knows something that the other person does not. If one dies, they, you know, the other loses more than half their heart. They lose all the information that their partner had. So you know, in my data are, are couples where a young woman died and left her husband without such basic information as the name of the children's pediatrician. And many people now are moving into a stage of life where they're not only caring for, they not only have a job, but they're caring for children and they're anticipating perhaps caring for older relatives. And I had my own experience of that. My mom retired to Florida and she got sick and I navigated from a thousand miles away with a telephone number for only one neighbor. Wow. Yeah. So that's been corrected. I know now, I now know everyone in my mom's life. So if it ever happens again, I'll be better able to step in for those of us who are in the workforce and want to move on and move ahead and do better at what we're doing, having the rest of our lives in that kind of order frees up our minds to actually show up and be fully present when we're, when we're on the job. Part of our problem with work-life balance and the whole discussion is we're balancing one network, a career network, against seven others. 
And the numbers in each case are really quite high. And there's a limit to what we can do uh, cognitively. Sir Robin Dunbar says we can only manage about 150 connections well. Now, children hit that in first grade. So the average uh, working parent with three kids has got at least 600 people in the networks that they're managing. Yeah, well, that, that's, uh, that's a lot. Cool. Well, so we talked about how to, to sort of balance the, the give and take in terms of sharing you know, what you need and, and asking what, how can you be helpful, uh, which is great. I'd love to get your thoughts on you know, how and when does one ask for help and how does one do that well? Well, first of all, we should ask for help more often than we do. And again, in, my, in the sample of people that I've been working with, they are tending to do too much, too fast, and trying to do it too alone. The recipe is what I've said before. I'm feeling a little like a broken record. It's knowing who's around you, being really clear about what it is you want and need, and not just out of selfishness, but because you're really an important person. You're absolutely unique. You have access to more resources than any generation in history and vast human capital which means you can create a terrific life for yourself, your family, and do good things in your career. So reaching out for help is not just for you, it's for everybody else who's going to benefit from that as well. That's great. Okay, so, so that's a nice case for, for doing it. You don't, don't hold back. And so then when you actually make the request, any, any pro tips for doing that well? Yeah, it's, it's just knowing exactly what it is you want knowing who is around you that you can ask. Uh, and if there isn't somebody who's right around you who, who can ask uh, for that sort of help, chances are someone you know does know someone who will have that information. We now know, for example, from research, that friends of friends are the best source of information about jobs and mates. You and your friends tend to share the same information. So your friends' friends, who you don't even know, have different information and you you might have to go through your friends and ask them to reach out to their friends you don't know and then ask that question best to them. And I will say this, I'm I'm on the receiving end of this a lot because of the career that I've had uh, because I I do guest lecture at so many places including at universities. I often have people reaching out to me for assistance and the easiest people to help and the most satisfying type of help and assistance to give is when somebody has a very clear request. Totally. Because then you know you nailed it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So instead of, gee, I'm, I'm not sure what I should do next. It's very, it's, um, it's much easier if you say, if they say, I am thinking about this or that career path or this or that next career move, or I've got this or that job offer. I want some help to know um, how to make this choice best. Or I want to know if you've ever faced a situation like this and what you did. The more specific that request is, the more targeted the help is that I can do. So doing your homework first by gaining that clarity is really important. All right. Lovely. Well, Glenna, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we shift gears and hear about some of your favorite things. I would just say this. Uh, we are hardwired to be social and to connect with other people. 
because we can't survive alone. So as we're connecting, what you need to know is that every network has a center of gravity. If you're below that center of gravity, it will pull you up. Now, that's why if you want to be awesome at your job, identify something you want to do better and friend up. It's, it's like the, the active side of just asking for help. Actually, you know, create the connection with somebody and hang, ar- hang around. Because when you're around smarter, more experienced, more skilled people, you will do better. It applies to just about anything. It happens to my tennis game. If I play with a better player, my game is better. Now, unfortunately, the opposite is also true. If you are above a center of gravity in a network, it is going to pull you back. And in subtle ways, it can hold you back. So if you're so awesome in your job that you're getting bigger or better jobs or opportunities to shine in bigger ways in your company, as you transition from one network to another, the people in the old network are not going to be happy about it. Unconsciously, they're going to be fearing that if if you're leaving the group behind, what happens to them? Are they going to survive? They may use social pressures to draw you back so that you need to know that. And then finally, when it comes to your career, the strengths and the weaknesses of every other network will show up in force. So if you don't have a good plumber and you find a leak, uh, it's going to affect your day. If you do have good childcare, if you're a working parent, that's going to allow you to go to work um, with a clear head. If your family had connections in your field, that's going to give you a head start. So while you should always focus, of course, on your, your career network, it's important to also take a look at all the others. Understood. Thank you. Well, now could you share with us a favorite quote, something you found inspiring? Yeah. It's an African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I actually think you can do both, go fast and far, if you've done some of the things we've talked about today and focus on all your networks. Well, thank you. And how about a favorite study or experiment or a bit of research? Anything done by Nicholas Christakis. And he has TED Talks, too. The difference between Nicholas Christakis and me is that he helicopters above a network and shows how everybody is connected. I help people stand in the middle of all of their networks and see it from that perspective. So both perspectives are, are worthwhile. And I, he's done some terrific research. He's a great speaker, too. You'd love his TED Talk. Oh, thank you. And how about a favorite book? Sherry Turkle. She's been chronicling technology for a long time. She's always been an optimist until her last book, which is called Alone Together, Why We Expect More of Technology and Less of Each Other. And I think that's part of why I like what I'm doing in Network Sage is it's reminding us that we need to have quality connections with one another. We just can't connect through through technology. That is such a killer subtitle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I, I think I, I boy, it's so true in the sense of it's like, why do I have to push six buttons to get what I want from this app? This is absurd. You know, that's that's pretty high expectation I have of this technology. Versus it's like, oh, uh, you know, this carpet person isn't gonna call me back. Well, they're dead to me. You know, <laughs> moving on to the next one. I don't expect much from them. And so yeah, that that's worth chewing on the t- subtitle alone. Thank you. All right. <laughs> and and how about a favorite tool? Something that helps you be awesome at your job? I work on three computer monitors. Uh, multiple monitors have been shown to increase productivity by up to 40%. So, and if I had room on my desk, I'd have a fourth. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. Well, tell me what do you tell me how these are arranged and what you do with them. I do so much writing and so much research that I can keep a document open, but then go on another screen and search the web and then watch emails and um, Skype with somebody. I mean, you know, all kind of seamlessly. Uh, without having to open and close uh, apps, and and especially when you're working on PowerPoint or Excel's and moving data from place to places, it makes it um, so. So I have a mouse that seamlessly moves between them, and then one of them is a TV set. So in case I want to multitask and watch something that's um, binge on Netflix while I'm um, you know doing something light, uh, I can do that too. Oh, that's so good. This reminds me of one of my favorite Onion articles, which is, I'll paraphrase to keep our clean rating <laughs> and to uh, not be censored in India. But um, it says, a co-worker with two computer screens not forking around. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll link that in the show notes. It's like, sources confirmed it was like watching Minority Report or something. <laughs> Uh, so okay cool well that's you and how about a favorite habit i work a lot with europeans and so i get up at 4 30 in the morning to call them earlier in their day while they're still fresh and they're rested and boy it's won me a lot of points uh with my clients but it's also helped me to be productive there's no other temptations the phone's not ringing emails aren't sailing in to interrupt me i get three or four hours of uninterrupted work time before most people start their commute so that's really been uh, and so even when i'm not committed to a european client uh, i've continued that and it's i've just i've just really found it very valuable and and tell me is there a particular nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks and and gets uh, shared frequently Actually, I just realized I already said it, um, that when it comes to your career, the strengths and the weaknesses of every other network will show up in force. Yes, thank you. And how about uh, if folks want to learn more, get in touch, where would you point them? My website is glennacrooks.com. Uh, I can all, you can also Google me at Glenna Crooks. I am blogging on this topic. And so you can sign up for my blog if you'd like. And um, I will have booking speeches now. I'm doing some coaching and I've developed an app to make all of this much easier. So it's designed now is just has to be coded. And I formed a collaboration with somebody to bring this into the work workforce and um, into companies to improve productivity. Oh, cool. Well, so and what's the app called and how do we get it? The name of the company is Coach and Sage QI. The app is, this app, part of the app is probably going to be called Sage My Life and it's not available yet. I mean, it's designed, it's not coded. So uh, through my website, my blogs and so on, we'll clearly be announcing when it's available. Okay. Awesome. And do you have a final challenge or call to action issue for folks seeking to be awesome at their jobs? I do, and I want to hear from anybody who tries it. Take a look at the org chart that defines where you sit in the company, because I don't think it's accurate. Create your own. Take a look at what is it that you have to do, who's primary for you in the company, who's support for you across all the cross-functional teams, perhaps outside the company, if you engage with customers, government regulators, the press, or other stakeholders and design a real org chart that is meaningful for you. And when you do that, what do you learn? Just recently did this with nurses. For the first time, they realized that a floor nurse 
was connecting with 125 different types of people, not numbers, types of people, like a patient's a type, a doctor's a type, a pharmacist is a type. And since they had more than one patient, they're dealing with more than one patient family member or clergy member or so on. So maybe 300 people, none of whom report to the nurse. She didn't hire them and she can't fire them. For the first time, it was clear that a nurse's job was not just clinical, it was management. And the toughest management there is because, like I said, the team doesn't report to her. I think most of your listeners will find that that's true of them too. And it will give them an appreciation for the real challenge they have on the job every day. Awesome. Well, Glenna, thanks you so much for sharing this good stuff. I wish you and and the book, The Network Sage, tons of luck and, and all you're up to. Mm, you are very welcome. And the same to you in your continuing series. I was intrigued here how Glenna reminded us of Dunbar's number, the 150. And what's striking about Dunbar's number is how much smaller it is than probably your number of Facebook friends or LinkedIn connections. I think I'm at two to 3,000 ish in, in those departments. And so 150 is, is less than 10%. And so that really gives some credence to that notion about the multiple categories of people and how to think about it and, and to make sure you're being thoughtful, planful about how you're choosing to invest your time in people that will really be meaningful for the both of you so that you are enriched and able to to do what you're trying to do instead of just sort of smattering it evenly across all of them, which would not be appropriate for a, the allocation of a financial resource nor of your, your time resource. In fact, on an idle moment of letting my brain play on a train trip, I realized that we're alive for about two and a half billion seconds and there's about seven and a half billion people on the earth, which suggests that if you were to evenly divide your time, you could give a third of a second to every human being on this earth. And that distribution of time, while perfectly even and fair, would be very dissatisfying for both you and each of those people. So it's kind of weird slash random slash impossible to have exposure for exactly one third of a second to everybody on the planet Earth. Uh, but if you did, it'd be rather suboptimal. And so I, I think about how, how silly and disappointing the results of that would be, would be comparable to how it is if, if you're just sort of indiscriminately uh, letting all of your time be evenly distributed. And again, if you want to check out the show notes, the transcript, the links to items we've referenced, that's over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash F338. And if you haven't already, I hope you'll push the subscribe button. If you do so, that will get Chris Bailey. He's back for more. The hilarious, productive Canadian. You may recall him from back in episode 32. Well, he's back with another book and with more insights and, and a whole lot more fun. So hope to catch you there. Peace. Thanks for joining us for today's episode. To get the most out of this conversation, visit awesomeatyourjob.com to find today's show notes, transcript, and infographic summary cheat sheet. For more entertaining professional skill sharpening, be sure to subscribe to catch the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars 
Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.